D&D Outdoors is brought to you by the Headline Outdoors. He- head on over to headlineoutdoors.com to watch season one, season two today, and also download Headline Outdoors streaming app on Roku or Fire TV. D&D Outdoors is also brought to you by the Southwestern Outdoorsman. Head on over to www.southwesternoutdoorsman.com and purchase your D&D Outdoors official t-shirt or decal today. Welcome back, everyone, to D&D Outdoors. Today on the show, we have a very special guest. We have Mike Dale from PurPro, and we have a new sponsor, which you'll be hearing about PurPro as well. So, you know, you're going to have, I guess, one more commercial in here. I do apologize for that. But, you know, after hearing, once you guys start hearing about PurPro, I think you guys are going to like it. A lot. How are you doing today, Dustin? Doing good, man. Doing good. Can't complain. How about you? I can't complain either. The weather's starting to get warm out here. The elk draw in Arizona happened. So everybody that got charged, their credit their credit card should be tra- charged. They put in for Arizona elk or pronghorn. And I heard you're having a good time out there, too. Yeah, man. It's... I think that they're doing an elk draw here too. It's from what I'm hearing, it's five. Eight. Uh, one of them is going to be a non-resident, so it's going to be out of state. Then the remaining four will be residents of Virginia. Is that going to be the very first draw that Virginia has ever had for elk? Yep. Oh, that's awesome. We're so we're in, we're about to Virginia. Do. You guys, does the elk thing kind of, I know we've gone over this before, they kind of wander out by you a little bit, or is it more up on the North Carolina or Kentucky border? It's, if you're looking at Virginia, you got West Virginia, Kentucky, and kind of Tennessee. They they released them in Kentucky. Okay. They've migrated this way, but Virginia itself is, the last article I saw on it and a couple videos, they actually released two herds or two different amounts of elk into Virginia. Uh, I'm probably going to be wrong, but I believe it was Botetourt County. It's on out next to Kentucky and West Virginia line, but they're in the mountains right there. So they, like I said, they're going to do the uh, five tag draw. That'll be fun. That's exciting. That's really exciting. When's the draw? believe it ends the 12th of this month it seems to something sits out to me for that gotcha that's exciting that's exciting and the good news is i guess if you get drawn for elk out there you can hunt on sunday now eh finally yeah they they finally passed it to where you can hunt on sundays on public land we already had it passed where we could hunt on private land which is pretty much what i hunt on anyway so yeah yeah, it didn't seem like there was much resistance to that uh, to the uh, bill for it that was passed. I believe it passed with over overwhelming uh, approval. I mean, it should for as much as they're charging for license now. How is uh, a license out there for you guys? The last time I bought a hunting license, it was over $120 and then they separated the bear tag. So that's another $25, $26 unless they've went up since then. Again, I hunt on my own property, so I don't have to purchase a hunting license. Oh, really? That's pretty cool. That's really cool. Uh, I'm jealous of that. I wish we didn't have that, but you know, I guess it is what it is. We don't we don't have all that fun stuff out here as much, but um, we're slowly slowly getting there. <laughs> well, but, the funny thing about that was Adam was two at the time, and they had a, a deal to where it was like a hundred fifty bucks, and I could buy him a, a lifetime hunting license. Oh, dang, that's a good. I think we we offer lifetime hunting licenses out in Arizona, but it's like six hundred and fifty bucks. Well, I bought him his, and then the following year, I had hit the age range to where mine was like 250. 
Oh, gotcha. So I bought mine. And then it was like the following year after that is when I purchased the property. Oh, gotcha. (laughs) I guess the game and fish department out there can thank you for your generous donation. Well, I mean, we still need them. If we like the bird hunts we go on, I still have to have a license. Or if I go somewhere else, I still have to have a license. Yeah, it still works out still in the end. I mean, I still have to buy if I if I were to deer hunt on somebody else's property, I'd still have to buy a muzzleloader or a boat permit and big game stamps and this and that. So it's really no advantage of, of having a lifetime license. Yeah. Wow, that's very true. Just saves you a little bit of money every now and then. Down the In water. my case, yeah. 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 So. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of speaking about licenses that kind of goes in with the elk, the Sunday hunting in Utah. House Bill 62 has been sent to, I believe, is was just passed unanimously in the House and Senate. And essentially, what it's going to do is place a limit on guides and outfitters. So um, you will not, you can still use a guide service. You can still use an outfitting service, but I don't know how it is out there, but in the West, you know, for some of these trophy L trophy, like deer, bighorn sheep and all that good stuff. I mean, you can have 12, 13 guides working for you, um, trying to find that one animal, you know, and they are actually going to, if this complete gets signed off by the governor i guess after passes the house and senate i'm not a too sure where the next steps are um it's going to only allow one a person may comp so let's see here let's read through the bill the person retains and uses not more than one outfit or hunting guide with taking a big game animal that makes sense the retained outfitter hunting guy uses no more than one compensated individual for locating or monitoring the location of big game on public land. So you can't go out and have a whole bunch of people essentially sitting on the hills looking for elk and then have like 15 different guides following elk or bighorn sheep, which some guides actually do out here. And then you cannot have more than one other person with you helping you spot this animal and then on top of that you can't so some guides would pay big money to people that like sent them like here's the where, where an animal is at and kind of send them on your way you know right and then they'd get a fee but that fee now can't go above 25 dollars. all in all i think it's a good it's good it's really open for debate uh, i see the positives of the bill because you know as we've talked about plenty of times, hunting's becoming a very expensive. And by some of these guide services, you know, they out here in the West, they have about 15 to 20 people for those high paying clients looking for one animal. And they're, they make hunting. If you're hunting within an area where a guide's at, your life is going to be heck. It's not going to be a lot of fun. They're going to, park in the middle of the roads, block you, make noise, scare your animal away. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy what they get away with out here. Yeah, that, that's not right, the whole trying to scare it, it, You're discouraging people. Yeah. It, that's not right. And I mean, obviously not all guide services do it. So, I mean, I'm not speaking for all guides. I don't want you guys to be complaining about me. But, I mean, there's been the history of it. I mean, you see videos, I think it was two years ago, of a huge mule deer on public land and one of the guide services i'm not going to name the guide service chased the mule deer if away from the people hunting it on public land onto private land where he had one of his clients sitting at to shoot it which is pretty ridiculous but that would be illegal essentially now because that'd be too many people out in the field It'll be interesting if this does this does pass. What how are you gonna essentially I mean it's gonna it's one of those that's gonna be hard to enforce, I feel. 
Kind of, sort of, I guess. I mean, it depends on how far the conservation officers want to dig into things, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think as as the positives and benefits, but um, I'm not I'm not too sure on it. I mean, I think it brings just reading through some of the comments on it, but I think I think there's there should be I don't know some rules to it in a way because I mean if you look at I don't I don't know out in Virginia if you guys have uh governor tags what, what uh, so out here we have these things called governor tags in like arizona utah montana colorado a lot of the states out west have them and it's a pretty much an auction for a tag so the governor allocated a tag for each big game species and then he puts it up that he or she puts it up for auction so like some of these governor tags go for upwards of three hundred fifty thousand dollars I believe a coos or a coozer mule deer tag actually for Arizona just went this past weekend for three hundred and twenty five thousand dollars, and you get out use it year round anywhere in the state. Yeah, we don't have those here. Yeah, and it's usually uh, so usually that gets a very big. What you're obviously you're paying that much money, you're gonna get a huge animal out of it. Um, and so I think maybe with that you should allow to. I mean, they're already spending that much money, and no one's really – they're hunting what – typically hunting season isn't happening. So I think maybe for something like that, allow them to buy all the guys they want, you know. But I think – I agree, like, maybe during general hunting season to not have it – have, like, guides up on the hill for having, like, a five-to-one because that – for me, that takes the fun out of hunting. I mean, you're you're the guy sitting there – and having the deer chase to you is that really something to brag about or how would how would he feel about if did he know that that was happening or who who knows honestly um because the video was of the guide service on the public land doing it and him denying doing it but um i mean the video was very clear that that's what he was doing so but I so I don't I don't know if the client knew that was happening or not. Yeah, it, it, if you're like I said, if you're the the customer and you're sitting there and you had the deer or animal ran to you, and you if you think it's a fair chase type situation, and then that comes out, I mean that, that's. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, I mean, you also are paying a guide. So obviously you either, you have, you want to get the animal. So I, I mean, do you, do you really care? I've never used a guide yet. I'm sure eventually I'll have to, if I, especially if we go to Mexico or something hunting one of these years. But I mean, when you're paying a guide, I'm assuming like you're, you're spending upwards of fifteen twenty thousand $20,000 to harvest an animal. So do you really care then how you harvest it? But then again, it, it's your, it's hunting. It, it's, you're not guaranteed. It's how many I, times I've been to, people come been to the, South Carolina a handful of times and I've only came away from down there with two pigs. I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. But I mean, a lot of guides, I mean, the reputation is that they, you don't shoot something that's going to get around and people aren't going to come to you over time. Because I feel the people that are paying for guides aren't, aren't they're, they, they just want to shoot something, you know, they're coming in with the expectation. I'm paying all this money. You're going to get me this animal. And that's kind of like where it's coming from with this bill is like, there are guides where a month or two before season, you'll have about 20, I mean, but not about 20, but about 10 to 15 people that work for those guides that are out in the forest tracking the elk. Like, they'll sleep out in the woods, and the next team will come in and follow the elk. And then when season starts, the guides are sitting right there on the elk ready to go. So but then you, it, you just bring the client in and hike him in and say, all right, right there's your elk. Now, 
I don't I don't pay much attention to the whole Boone and Crockett thing, but aren't certain rules applied to have your animal in those type of scoring categories and, and listed if it is a, a yeah a trophy? Yeah, so a lot. Uh, let me look at. I know in Arizona that um, there's this thing called the Arizona Big Thirteen or Ten. Pretty much, if you get all the animals in the state, you get a, like a, a like a a plaque, and you okay. cannot use a guide except for elk and not elk. I'm lying. I like bison, and I believe bighorn. You can also use a guide for but the other ones you can't so you can't uh you can't uh claim it for that if you use a guide for like elk deer or anything along that way but yeah, I, just, I wasn't sure if it was like it had to be like fair chase and it, certain rules had to apply you couldn't just i i killed this animal here's my where's my spot in the trophy book type i I don't know. I'm all I'm worried about is trying to fit the animal in the freezer. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm looking on Boone and Crockett's website right now, but I'm not. I'm not seeing really anything completely against it. But I mean, let's see here. But I, I would assume you can use a guide just simply because, um, like if you go to Alaska, for example, for uh, like bighorn sheep, doll sheep. And the camp, grizzly bear, you have to have a guide for, unless you're a native. But then if you go to Africa, you aren't going to Africa just hopping out of your truck, you know. Right. So I'm assuming they do allow guides just simply because of that, um, that reasoning. Because there are some hunts that you, it's impossible to do without a guide. But I'm not, I'm not too sure. I'm, I'll, I'll see what I can find out on that though. But right now, looking at it, I don't see anything too crazy about it. But we have a great interview coming up with Mike Dale of Pro. We also have another great debate, I think, coming up too after this. Or maybe Dustin and I are going to agree on it. But we will be right back with Mike Dale of Pro. Whether you're hunting, fishing, scouting, sitting down for long periods of times just really takes it out of you. Your back is sore, your body is sore, you're going to have to leave your tree stand or blind early just because you are not comfortable. Well, let's change that with PurePro. PurePro is making an avid hunter, outdoor enthusiast, some most comfortable products out there in the market. You can be able to sit for long periods of times and not have a sore back or body. Mate right here in the USA. Get your Pure Pro products today at www.purpro.com. That is www.pur-pro.com today. And we would like to welcome on a very special guest. We have Mike Dale here of Pure Pro. How you doing today, Mike? Hey, we're doing great, man. Beautiful day in Central Indiana. Yes, yes. Finally, I think across the country, the winter's starting to thaw out here. It was, it was funny. All winter, I'm dusting something about the snowstorms that is coming in and all that out in Virginia. And I'm over here complaining in Arizona. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's like 35, 40 degrees today. I don't know how to put a jacket on. I'm not liking this too much. <laughs> Perspective is everything, right? It is. It is. I always say, like, cause I, I went to college in Colorado. I used to live in. Ever how to survive these mid are the Colorado winters because now, like any little bit of cold, I'm running and I'm bundling up. <laughs> Everybody has a different definition of bundling up, too. Exactly, yeah. I'm bundling up my jacket and my gym shorts and my flip flops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do you have a um, good hunting season? Um, 
Not particularly, no. Uh, Indiana had uh, had a real wet fall, and uh, the farmers were not able to get the corn out quite like they normally do. And so we had a lot of standing corn around the places that I hunt. And so uh, I had about a three-quarter of a mile walk back through standing corn, which makes you really question if you want to drag anything out three-quarters of a mile <laughs> through standing corn. Yeah, man. Oh, Lord. See anything because they tend to just kind of go in the cornfields and live in the cornfields at that point. They got good cover and good food, so why leave? Kind of like the ghost of the cornfields. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Oh, man. So, sorry, so yeah, it was kind yeah, of a bust. Been, and, and, and with the mud and everything, it was pretty limited opportunities anyway because you surely don't want to tear up somebody's property just for your hunt. So... Yeah. So we try to respect yeah, that. that whole... Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing that's a good way to get the land shut down is to be disrespectful on it. And that's, oh, yeah. 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 That's something. Yeah. That I'm very fortunate. I've got a good friend who's got battle. some private land and he lets me hunt. So I try to do my part. Yeah. Yeah. That's the bad thing about out here in Arizona is not necessarily, I mean, obviously I'm going to, because we are hunters, I'm not going to blame the hunters, but there'll be times where people will be, you'll be out in the middle of the desert and people will come ripping through on their side by sides or something where there's no trails. And sure, sure enough, a year later, that whole area shut off for four by four and you have to hike all the way in it. Like, yep. I think people would learn to respect the land, but I guess that's thinking a little bit too much. <laughs> now the, today, today is a different day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the whole packing what you pack out is amazing. How many people don't even do that? It's just it's a crazy world we live in now. It is a crazy that. world, that's for sure. Yeah, but again, uh, so what part? You said you live in central Indiana. So do you just strictly deer hunt, or you guys know you guys got some turkeys out there, or what's your what's your uh, not many turkeys uh, in not many turkeys in central Indiana. We've got some south of us, and we've got some north of us, but right here in this area. Uh, everything's pretty wide open. If you can plant it and grow something on it for the land, for the cost of land these days, uh, you're planting it and growing something on it. Gotcha. So you're, you're, you're the primary, uh, animal that you're, uh, that you aim to hunt then. Yeah, we got, we got, we got deer around here and some of the patch woods and, uh, and we've got a lot of, so we go out and bust a few coyotes every now and then. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, coyote hunting. What's your what's your go to call for a coyote? Uh, the wounded rabbit seems to go pretty good. I run a um, used to run a Fox Pro, and then I got one of those lucky dogs there a couple of years ago. Had a little bit of success with it. So gotcha. That's good. Uh, yeah, I've been most most of the, most of the coyote hunting just involves it. Hey, I see one out the window. I think I'll go take a crack at it and see if I can have some luck. Gotcha. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Those are those are the best hunts of all. You don't have to sit out and freeze. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh man, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Do you ever get any bobcats or anything that come in for you, or are you really just strictly with coyotes? Just strictly with coyotes. Uh, Indiana has is getting a pretty good bobcat co uh, population. Um, we're starting to hear more and more people complain about it, and so I don't know if the DNR is going to put a season on them or not but right now they, they are off limits oh gotcha so, so uh but their sense. numbers are coming up and it sounds like there's some people experiencing some problems with them so maybe here in the next year or so uh, the dnr will do something about it but gotcha. you know time will tell wildcats are a fun hunt i mean i've never i've never been uh lucky enough to shoot one but it's always kind of just a quick glimpse of them when i've hunted them out here in the west uh, I, I think a bobcat hunt would be pretty awesome. I'm I'm looking forward to doing one one day. Yeah, yeah, no, they're pretty fun. Um, yeah. So what's so Peer Pro? Talk to me about that. I know that's your the newest um, partner with here at Headline Outdoors. I'm sure everybody just heard your our little our ad for you that came came right before you hopped on. I'd love to talk about that. What kind of got you started in that, and you know what's what's kept it going? Uh, well. Uh... Pro was uh, kind of born out of a mistake. The company that uh, worked for AMA USA um, 
started manufacturing in May of 2018 to provide seats for the lawn and garden industry. And the way the process works is that we attach a frame to a mold, pour foam into the mold, the foam encapsulates the frame and forms its own skin. So there's no other coverings needed on our foam, on our products. Um, one day while we were producing, one of the guys made a mistake and left a frame out of the seat. And so when we opened up the mold, we had this nice, soft, flexible seat that's very weather resistant and everything else. I can have it. And I thought, you know what? I bet that would work really well on my tree stand. And so, that's um, awesome. <laughs> and so I put it my tree stand, and, and I am, I am bad. I, I full admission right here. Full disclosure: I am yeah. bad to sit still in a tree stand. Um, <laughs> get a, move a little bit. Yeah. We don't, and we don't so, have uh, out and so I took it out and put it in my tree stand and I, I put it out early cause I wanted to see what the squirrels would do to it. I wanted to see what the weather would do to it and everything. And, you know, two or three months later I went out and had my first sit in it and, uh, it was a nice day and I'm sitting there kind of enjoying the hunt and didn't see anything, but I looked at my phone to see what time it was. And I'd been there for four hours and I hadn't moved. Oh, that's awesome. And I thought, you know what? This this is probably the ticket. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, steak steak built made made Pure Pro what it is today, essentially. Yeah, it sounds like. Yep. It's a little serendipity that's there. That's awesome. Yeah. So, no, that's uh, amazing. So then we 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 kind of talked about it. And we decided we'd see what we could do with it, and um, and then COVID hit. There, right at the beginning of 2020, which pretty much shut down people trying to see it, feel it, experience it. Um, and we were working with uh, Donnie Yates from White Tales of America uh, gotcha. to kind of get a Facebook presence started and everything else. And he's done a great job of, of getting the word out on us. And so for 20 and up until May of 21 really the only presence that we had was just online. Gotcha. And That's then awesome. uh, in May of 21, the Tennessee Outdoor Rendezvous opened up for a, for a show, and we went down and took some seats down and had a very strong response with that. So then we hit uh, the World Deer Expo in Birmingham that year, and um, – a couple shows in Georgia, the GON Blast and the Buckarama. And okay. the, 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 the response has just been tremendous for everybody. Wow. Um, we've, been, we've been getting some really good feedback from veterans that have kind of been messed up, you know, from their service, which we are very grateful for. And um, we've been able to work with them some. We've got some guys back in the stand that have 12 years. Um, and so it's a unique product. There's nothing like it on the market right now where it's a molded back and seat cushion. Um, and then we've developed our own line of cushions and things of that nature. And then along the same, at the same time, we've also developed ways to personalize and customize the cushions so that we can incorporate different logos for different hunting clubs and things of that nature. So, uh, we're, we're kind of excited about our product. We're excited to see where it can go. And, you know, this past weekend in Indianapolis, we had a guy come by that was in a wheelchair and uh, he put one of our cushions in the bottom of his wheelchair and he's just smiled real big and said, man, where have you guys been? Oh, that's amazing. That makes so, it right uh, there. So, yeah, it's, it's been exciting. It's been fun. Um, we're excited to see where it can go. Um, we've got the Deer Classic in Iowa coming up this weekend, and then we've got, I think, five other shows already booked for the year this year. Oh, really? And uh, kind of looking for some other ones to go to. Yeah, you know, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge to hunting is finding a comfortable place to really sit. I mean, yep. even, I know, I don't sit at a tree stand. We don't really do that um, out here, but. Um, I can tell you, I'm excited to get one of the pads because sitting on these rocks out here in the desert, just as bad as the tree stands. 
the amount of times I'm over there trying to scrape a little spot for me. And then there's always this one little like rock or something in my way that just makes it so uncomfortable. I'm, it's going to be fun. And I'm excited to give it the, to be able to have something comfortable for once. Well, that's that, you know, it, it's kind of interesting, you know, going through the development phase, we met up with a guy, um, and, uh, started getting some real good feedback from him. Um, the guy has rheumatoid arthritis real bad okay. and, um, you know, and part of the trick was developing a cushion that was soft enough to be comfortable, but firm enough to be still be supportive because everybody that's sat right. on a really soft cushion where they bottom out after about 20 minutes. And then everything that's under you just transfers through. Yeah. Um, and everybody sat on cushions that are so hard. It's like sitting on the, on the metal anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I must've been challenging to find that sweet spot. And so we've, we've kind of found a sweet spot there and, and we've, you know, as far as the ability to carry it and, and buckle it in and things like that, we've got a couple options there that, you know, give you some flexibility and um, just the weather resistance and things of like that. And October of 20, oh, hey, we, uh, and I pulled it out in January of 22. So it was out about a, almost a year and a half, I guess. Year and, uh, um, just to kind of see what the squirrels did to it. And they chewed on it. They tasted it, but they didn't seem to enjoy it. Um, really? it, it oh, was, yeah, it, it, it was still there and it was still functional. <laughs> and the best part about it is, is where they compromised the skin, the font, the pads hadn't soaked up any water. So, oh, um, awesome. so yeah, the, the, the water resistant. weather is, is pretty good. That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, I was looking through, I was, I have a whole bunch of now, I guess we'd say different, different products per se. Uh, and they, yep. they all go with, they all go pretty, is it like a universal pad with them or do you have like different pads you found, uh, different, like, I guess best way, like shapes or, uh, engineering different pads go different, say with your blind, uh, blind chair pads compared to, all your tree stand pads are all pretty similar. So <clears throat> everything carries the same. Um, there's a common denominator is that we use the same kind of system to make all of our products. Okay. And so all of our products have the same weatherability and, and water resistance and things like that. Uh, uh, kind of the two pads that we're kind of running with right now is we've got a 13 by 15 pad that's about two inches thick. And then we have an 18 by 12 pad that's two inches thick. Um, coming out of the show in Indianapolis this past weekend, we had a real strong response to our 18 by 12 pad. People seem to like the little bit larger size on it. Um, and we also get a very strong res response out of our, you know, because you can use the pads about anywhere. I mean, you could use those at ball games. We've got some mechanics that use them in their shop. We've got people that garden that are using them for kneeling pads. Um, so, you know, the, the uses are endless on them. Um, some of the other molded seat cushions that we have where they have the back and the, and the bottom incorporated into one unit um, are working really well in a lot of ladder stands. Um, the pads also work really well in lock-on stands and climbers. But oh, kind of one of the unique things about the seats that are used in the ladder stands is that you can actually fold them over and strap them down and makes it a little bit easier to carry in and out. Or if you want to leave them out for the season, they're, they're built to withstand to leave out. There's some openings in them so that the water drains off. Uh, they're not real sexy because you can have any color you want as long as it's black. But the advantage to that is if it does get some snow or moisture on it, with the sun comes out, it dries right up and, you go on, you're not sitting on a sponge. Yeah, that's nice. That's very nice. Yeah, nothing like sitting there feeling so, like you're a kid um, with a wet diaper. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, the rail <laughs> sleeves are kind of a neat thing too, Dustin. You've, you've kind of, you guys have got your hands on a couple of those. 
and um yeah. and they're starting to gain some traction too as far as providing an option that you can slip on and off really easily there's no coverings over them um they tend to grip and and move around and they're quiet there's no velcro or anything on them um so we're starting to see it coming up taking sales on those you're trying to replace the ones that i have that came with the ladder stand they're velcroed on and as soon as the squirrel's got a hold of them it's that white foam it shows from underneath and it just you can pick that out from you know yards away from it and putting that on i'm 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 amazed by little simple things in the square holes that were in it it just that amazes me <laughs> well the system that we work with is very flowable and formable and so we can we can do a lot of things as far as shaping and forming new products and um you know that was just a little prototype mold that we built and so you know we kind of make them they're about 12 inches long i think you know and yeah that that's really about all that you need um I always buy more. Um, We're glad to sell it. <laughs> but, um, you know, and I yeah. think another important thing for <laughs> us is that <laughs> another important thing for us is our products are all made here in the USA, made it here in our plant in Indianapolis. And, um, you know, and the other thing is keep it at an affordable price point where, I mean, it's a product that price that seriously when people look at our products they, they feel them and sit on them and try them out and then they we've heard more on more than one occasion is that all and so uh that lets yeah. us know that we're we're priced right too that's awesome yeah so how just for anybody listening what do um your cushions and all that uh run for so basically our small pads are 13 by 15 pads you can get into with a carrier strap option for around for 25 bucks 12 pad runs you 30 uh, our molded seat cushions run from 35 to 55 and we're just getting ready to introduce a new pet a new seat on the market that is a really large seat and uh the big seat uh, price we're gonna price it somewhere in that 70 dollar range um but it is a large seat and it has a lot of large comfort to it. Awesome. Well, that's going to be great. And where can anybody order these at? You can order everything directly online through uh, pur-pro.com, our website. It will redirect you to our AgriStore USA e-commerce site, or, or you can go directly to uh, agristoreusa.com and take a look at it. Yeah, our e-commerce site, we have run a lot of things for the agricultural industry, a lot of tiller blades, hydraulic top links, PTO shafts, things of that nature. So the guys running food plots, if you want to make handling your implements a little little bit easier, the hydraulic top links are pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I will definitely you know have your links here in the description of this podcast. And whenever they listen, they'll be able to hear your website come up. <laughs> you got you got to plug everybody where you can right exactly exactly <laughs> oh no it'll be we're excited you know to work with you it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing um and this part and partner with you what is what is the i guess the convention or hunting trade show circuit like um it's pretty interesting you know because there's a lot of shows out there and so you've got a lot of options um last year you know a lot of the shows that we went to were down in the south and the southeast um we're we're excited to be going to iowa and illinois this year and try to get out here in the mid midwest a little bit more where there's um a lot more you know there's a lot of tree stand guys yeah and um obviously we you know i think it'd be really cool to do some shows out west but i don't really know what the market out west for our products would look like right now but I'm sure there's something we could do to add some comfort to some hunts out there. 
Oh, yeah. If you ever make it out west, let me know. I'd be more than happy to come have some fun at the show with you guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, out west, a lot of it, I mean, just looking through would be the the uh, the main just kind of the pad for the ground and the blind stands. I mean, there are there are some people that do hunt tree stands out here, but um, it's just out here. I don't know how it is in the Midwest and the um, East, but out here, it's we have this fun little law that anything abandoned hunting properties or any abandoned property like your trail cameras your uh tree stands blinds or any of that good stuff that's left out in the forest it's considered litter so anybody can just walk up and take your tree stand and they won't do a thing about it in arizona oh wow (laughs) yeah on public on public land not private land but we have yeah we don't there's not much public or there's not a lot of private land where that offers um tree stand hunting and stuff but it's, it's crazy to hear all that but yeah you go set your tree stand up. Like that, some, like in Arizona. some of the areas i've been in there's not much for trees anyway so yeah that's really true <laughs> unless you're up north but yeah the blind the blind stand and uh, the main cushion i'm oh, that'd be a lifesaver that's yeah. a lot of what we do but yeah i mean i've heard stories of people out that had their tree stand set up and they'll come out opening day on this water hole and someone will be sitting in their tree stand and refuse to get out of it because it's public property then. Wow. Yeah. You so what's so, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine, huh? Exactly. That's how like some people in Arizona like goes back to what we said at the beginning of it. Just people these days, essentially. Yep. There you go. Yeah. Well, you know, you talked so, about the ground blinds too, and we and we do we have found and we are finding that um, that our framed seats uh, we've come up with a way that you can adapt them to mount them to uh, you had a chair that swiveled and you wanted to mount one of our seats to it. We come up with a system that you can use to do that with. And, and um, you come up with a lot more comfortable chair. Um, and, and we're actually working on trying to find some some local manufacturing to, to build some legs. We've got some an awesome idea for some tripod legs to go um, we're just trying to find ways to get the cost out of it where they can be affordable. Uh, some of the yeah. costing that we've seen so far just puts them way out of the price range. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of people tell us to just take it overseas, but we're not, that's not the way we roll. We'll, we'll keep it here or we'll not do it. That's awesome. No, that's great to hear, you know, yourself and your company stand by your values where it seems like nowadays everybody just takes off as soon as they find a way to save a buck. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, if, if we can't find a cost-effective way to get it done here, here, we'll just offer the seat and come with a way to mount it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I know that that would be amazing. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mike, for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate it, and you know, I'm sure we'll have you on again in the future. What is? Well, I appreciate uh, like the opportunity to talk Pure about Pro. Pure Pro. Oh yeah. What is, uh, you know, how can people find you besides your website on a pure pro? Is there, you have Instagram, Facebook, we got, Twitter, we got whatever, all the we cool got Facebook nowadays. Yep. We got Facebook at pure pro products and same thing for Instagram at pure pro products. Awesome. So I'm going to have, I'll, I'll take that in our post when we release this episode. So you people can come find you and you know, check out your products a little bit more, but yeah. Thank you. Again, well, you know, Mike, the interesting thing, on. the, the interesting thing I'm, I've, I've found, too, is, you know, anybody that's hunted any at all has, has experienced discomfort in the field. Yes. And, and, it's, yeah. and it's always amazing that, you know, you, <laughs> the definition of insanity, you, you keep doing what you're doing and you keep getting what you're getting, right? Exactly. And, and, <laughs> and when you think about the time and the money you invested in bows and guns and camo and packs and equipment and everything else that you that you invest all this money but you let a little seat cushion ruin your hunt yeah. Oh, yeah. you end up leaving early or not staying very long because you're just so uncomfortable you can't take it anymore and then you're sore for three days yeah. and um oh, yeah. and so we're trying to change that we're trying to provide a, a comfortable option to keep you in the stand longer and keep you comfortable while you're out there and 
and enjoy the hunt. I don't hunt to be uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, no, yeah. No, I can't wait to. I wish I had it on my javelina hunt a couple weeks ago because, oh man, getting up was tough every time off that ground and moving around trying to get comfortable. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you again, Mike, for coming on. And we look forward, you know, to having you on again um, in the future. Whether you're packing out an elk late at night or trying to sneak into your deer stand early in the morning in the darkness, definitely want a top-of-the-line headlamp. Well, head on over to Cabbage and get your headlamp today. With 300 lumens and 220 degrees of LED light, the K. 110 headlamp is the best for you. Head on over to Cavage and get your headlamp today. That is at www.kawachusa.com. I'd like to thank Mike for coming on. We're really excited to have Peer Pro part of us um, as well here. It's pretty, it's pretty exciting to have him and have a you know, actually be able to hunt comfortably, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, as much as damage as I've done to my body over the years, those seats are really comfortable. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, we got, we have another, another debate here kind of going on. You want, you want to read that in here, Dustin? Well, I was saying, I was listening to a, want to say competitors podcast because it's i'm not really thinking that just because it's another podcast it's a competitor um it's filmed the hunt podcast they i actually took classes through them so i still listen to their stuff watch your stuff i tom petrie if i have questions i'll email him and he's within a few days he's replying back he's the teacher of the classes great guy but I was listening to their podcast and one of the guys said a couple years ago that he had went on a friend's farm to hunt for a particular deer, that that was going to be the only one that he was going to harvest. And the, the, the certain buck came in, I forget what they were calling him, but he was trying to judge how far the deer was going to drop when he released his arrow. And when he released the arrow, the deer didn't drop. It didn't move. It just, and it, it took the arrow a little low, but took it good. And it ran off. And they were trying to track the deer, ran to the next property, and he kind of stopped because he didn't want to cross over into the next property. But he did the grid search, searched as much as he could, and he figured that it was low enough that it was not a fatal shot. So apparently the couple of years later, the landowner was talking to a couple of the other property owners around and he was, one of them was excited that his son had shot a, a trophy animal and it showed the guy's son and the deer. And then beside him was his brother and the deer that, the host had shot so they got with him was asking about what was what's the story with that deer and he said well while they were looking for his son's deer they found that one did from the arrow shot and apparently he had the deer mounted which i'm sitting there questioning why would you have one that you found mounted yeah but He's trying, the, the host was trying to get in touch with the guy that had it and was, he would like the animal, but didn't want to ask for the animals per se. So it was kind of an awkward thing. What do you do? And they were asking, you know, hey, how would you go? How would this pan out for you? And what was your, your take on it? That's, it's a sticky situation. I mean, it's, Mine was, yeah. why would you have a deer that you found mounted? That was my my first response. Uh, as far as going up saying, hey, I'm the one that killed it. Here's the footage from me killing it. 
it'd be a good story. Uh, as far as he didn't want to ask for it. Yeah. And I, I understand that. But I, I I don't I don't know. I'm I'm up in the air on that one. Yeah, I mean I think the most interesting part about the whole thing is why would you keep a deer that's not yours? <laughs> you know, and hang it on your wall, essentially. I mean, yeah, I think it would be it would be tough. It would be tough, you know, coming about that conversation. Like, can I, that deer's mine. Like, can I have it back? You know? I mean, it, talking to the, the taxidermist I use, he says he's had people that would hit a fox or a bobcat or something and bring it to him and want him to mount it. Really? And my question to him was, why would you want something mounted if you hit it with a car? Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, yeah, I do. I mean, that's kind of, I guess, similar. I guess, no offense. If I offend someone, I'm sorry I offended you. But, like, the people out west out here that go shed hunting and they uh, get the they get the sheds they find and buy a cape of another deer and have it mounted like it's their, their deer they shot. I don't know. That just doesn't make much sense to me either. It's kind of a similar situation in a way, it sounds like. Well, it, it, yeah, that is. I thought you were going to say something about making like a shed tree or so. I think I was talking to Jason, one of the other field producers for Headline Outdoors here, and over the weekend, he was actually making a lamp out of some. No, shed. yeah. No, I, I think that stuff's cool. But like the people that, find the sheds, they go out and buy a deer cape or use a yeah. deer cape that they already have and then put it on their wall. Yeah, I, mean, that, I, think, I think like having making stuff out of sheds is awesome, but then you're but not throwing it on your wall looking like a trophy deer, you know? Now, for those that you did piss off, where <laughs> could they send the emails to to get in touch with you? <laughs> so if, if I did piss you off, we do have an HR department, customer <laughs> complaints. We get back within 365 days. But you can email us at. But hey, I got I gotta check out the customer email address real quick. <laughs> you can email us at d and the outdoor podcast at gmail dot com. <laughs> so if you if you do or or if you wanna uh, explain to us the reasoning behind why you keep the mounts even it doesn't it doesn't all have to be a negative thing maybe maybe you can change dust in the mind's mind on keeping mounts that you find because you know that's just that's just my opinion but yeah dnd outdoor podcast at gmail.com feel free to get a hold of us um that way and i actually I, lo I look at it about two or three times a week so if you get me during the week it's a better chance we get if you email me next Saturday or Sunday, you probably won't hear back from me until Monday. <laughs> On that. Oh, man. But speaking, I guess, about trophies, uh, I guess uh, a Texas bass fishing record was broken this week. Well, I, I'm not sure when it was, but, yeah, it's 17.06 pounds. And the Ooh, headline reads, yeah, the headline reads, Lunker Bass, biggest in Texas in 30 years. That's a huge bass. That is, that is, ugh. Yeah, yeah. so it was, it was caught in, oh, Oklahoma bass angler Josh Jones looked for real estate along the shoreline of the Texas Red Hot OHIV Reservoir. That is wow. That I mean, that I'm looking at the picture of the fish. We will have the pictures of the fish also posted in our podcast. I mean, this thing is massive. They must have some good eating in there. On <laughs> that, yeah, it must be. It, it's that's a big old fish. Yeah. So it looks like yeah, it was, looks like it was caught last week in there wow so broke a state rec or 
it's actually short of the state record, which is interesting. The state record for Texas is 18.18 pounds, which was set 30 years ago. This is still a pound off of that state record. Could you imagine fighting an 18-pound bat? Yeah. Oh, man. So apparently the the bass actually – so if you want to go catch these bass, they like the winter. They like their – they're the – the other day, call it the Lake OH Ivy's fame cold water big bass. And the colder it gets, the better they bite. There. Oh, man. Well, let's be honest. How cold does it really get in Texas? That's, I mean, I guess they got a freeze last year, though. That doesn't count. That's a fluke thing. Just, okay, just because you out there in your Virginia coldness. We we think anything in the southwest below eighty degrees is cold. <laughs> so just because you think it's not cold, for us we're out there shivering away. You know, you put uh, us in that. Uh, but it's actually funny. I'm I'm reading this. The the previous lake record was sixteen point four zero pounds, and it was caught. Less than a little over a year ago, it was caught on February 19th of 2021. So, February is the time to hit that lake up. They're the famous cold water bass, Dustin. Gotta be cold there. You're not gonna catch them in July. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but yeah, I guess, I guess maybe that's why they're called the famous cold water bass because you catch them in February in the winter months. Wow, I know. Clint, the guy that we used to do the striper fishing here in November, December, actually goes to the bay and really? runs charters down there. Yeah. Catch some big he fish caught one that was, yeah, He caught one that was 60 pounds. I would be sore after that fight. Oh, man. But speaking I of. find a picture oh. of him with him. Yeah. Oh, man, that would be a fun fight, though. But, you know, also speaking of bass, we talked about kind of Yellowstone and all that. On February 19th, a fly fisherman caught a smallmouth bass on the confluence of the Gardner and Yellowstone rivers. Rivers, sorry, not livers. Less than a half mile from Yellowstone's north entrance, which the 10-inch smallie was caught about from um, someone from Montana State. Uh, apparently, this is bad because it's a non-native species and it could create a potential nightmare because the bass, like the, you know, obviously bass predate, predate sorry, stuttering there for a minute, predate on like the smaller fish in the stream and there's a the Yellowstone cutthroat trout, which is endemic to only the Yellowstone River. So they're worried if this bass does continue on in that it could take out some of the native cutthroats, potentially decimate them. And also, but I mean, Yellowstone has already one invade. The lake trout isn't uh, natural either. Um, Pretty, it's pretty crazy. So, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And because the guy that caught it didn't know, he released it. So now they got to hunt it down again. So if you're if you're now, fishing by Yellowstone this year, don't keep it or keep the bass and I guess report it to the Game and Fish of Wyoming. Do the trout migrate in Yellowstone? I think I think all fish migrate to their breeding grounds okay. um, through the rivers. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty sure they all do spawning runs and stuff. I mean, I don't know any, I don't know an example of a fish that hasn't done a spawning run because usually they like to lay their eggs up in colder water because it helps them hatch better. So I'm assuming that. Um, there, I'm guessing that there is good, good a good migration, but I don't I don't really know 
we're the we're the smallest we're the nearest like small bass bass fish fishery is around there but i mean reading online and some of the other articles it looks like i mean this this one bass came from a pretty pretty far area which it's interesting yeah i mean maybe they'll protect it with the wolves there <laughs> yeah yeah oh man well we'd like to thank all you guys for listening to us today be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at D and D Outdoors. Also, don't forget, we are doing the Cavich Cav- Headlamp Giveaway. All you got to do is take a screenshot. Uh, you listen to this episode, post it to your Instagram story, tag us in it. And also, you can follow the link in our Instagram or in the description of this podcast to find other ways to win and enter this awesome giveaway. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your day. And if you're heading home from work, I promise it will be over soon.